Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. So being a parent is uh, pretty interesting. I find myself doing things I never thought I'd do. I find myself saying things I never thought I'd say. But what I think is most interesting about parenting um, is just watching your kids do things that you never taught them to do. So I have three kids, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And why that's important for this morning is none of them remember a time when there wasn't another one of them, right? They've grown up with each other. So they're so close in age, and they just always have known they have siblings. And we've always taught them to share. We've always taught them to let other people use their things. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why they don't enjoy sharing. The other day, I walked into the middle of a fight of, a, of an iPad. So one of them was playing. The other one came up and said, that's mine. Give it back. And then I hear them talking about whose iPad it is and who can use it. And so I did what any good parent would do. I walked in and said, actually... It's mine. And I took it from them and put it up and said, now nobody can use it. Another argument we hear all the time is at the dinner table. They have assigned seating, evidently. They fight like Baptists over pews, right? So I'll come in to dinner, and we don't have name plates. We don't have family who's dedicated this. And so we just have them talk, arguing over whose chair it is. So I do what any good parent does. I said, these are all my chairs. And so I start assigning seats then. And what's funny is we don't teach them this stuff. We don't teach them to hold on to things or be possessive over things or be selfish over things. In fact, we teach them the exact opposite. So it seems to me, maybe not for you and maybe not your family, maybe not your kids, maybe it's just mine, there seems to be this natural tendency to be, well, to be selfish. There seems to be this natural tendency to be possessive over things. And the other common thing we see in our kids all the time that we didn't teach them is this thing called envy. Anybody? Ever seen envy before? We're like, we don't know what that is. Let me explain it to you today, okay? If one person gets something, you better have enough for all of them, right? So if one child doesn't, it wants, if, if I'm like, here, you, you want some of this brownie, you have two other ones coming up, right? The grandparents tried to head this off at the beginning. So at birthday times, they would bring presents for all of them, which I didn't like. I rebuked that. They need to learn. And so Tyler was crying at Troy's last birthday. I said, buddy, you just need to learn. It's not your birthday. I don't know what to tell you. You just need to get over it. He's four years old. People think I'm mean. I don't think so. I think this is just what you do. But I used to use it for my advantage. So ever since they were small, Troy's always been clingy to me. Daniela, my middle one, has always been clingy to mommy. They say that'll change one day, but right now that's still how it is. And so Daniela, when I would leave, I'd be like, hey, I'm leaving. She'd be like, bye. I'm like, no, but what about hung kiss? She's like, I'm good. And so what I do is Troy's the exact opposite. So I'd go up around Danielle, be like, Troy, I'm leaving. He'd run over, give me a big hug and kiss. And so Daniela saw Troy do it. So what did she want? Hug and kiss. Right, I used it for my advantage to get those hugs and kisses in the morning. You might say, well, Brian, they're just kids. I wish we could all say that only kids get envious, right? That only kids look at what other people have and want it. A couple of years ago, I was with my buddy, and he's about 6'3". I don't know if I've told you all this before, but I didn't... Well, he's about 6'3", and I just thought, well, he was tall. And we were talking. My best friend known him for, 
wow, 28 years now. And so I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, you're short. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm not really short. He's like, no, Brian, seriously, you're short. I was like, no, no, I mean, you're just joking, right? No, guys pick on each other. He's like, no, like in all seriousness, he's 6'3". He's like, you are actually a short person. I was like, man, I didn't need this. I grew up heavier. I got a slower metabolism. And now I'm short? That's not something I needed. So I started looking around. And next thing you know, I got this complex. Everybody's taller than me. Maybe I am short after all. And I don't know about you. Then as I get older, I start looking and go, well, how come my metabolism is not as fast as them? Why isn't my hair as thick as them? Why aren't I as tall? Right? Anybody ever, y'all never felt like this? Right? Okay, right. We start looking around, questioning. And I know I'm not the only person to do this. I know it's not just me and my kids. Think about when you're at work. Somebody gives that great presentation or has that great sales pitch or just does something amazing, right? I wish we could say we always sat back and went, man, I am so happy for them. They are amazing and awesome. I'm going to give them a high five and write them a note. What do we usually do? We're like, well, have you ever seen them type on a keyboard? I'm better. They're ugly. Their wife doesn't even like them. Have you seen their shoes? You know what I'm better at, right? We start looking at how we're better than people to make ourselves feel better. And it's, well, why? Well, how about when it comes to giving our stuff away? I wish my kids were the only one who were a little possessive over things. How many of us, don't raise your hand. How many of us things in a room, an attic, or even pay somebody else to use a building of theirs to store our stuff that we don't even want? Don't raise your hands. We don't even want this stuff, but we don't want to give it away. Right? There's something inside all of us that like, hold on to this. So we're all confronted. I think we agree. We're all confronted with, with let's just call it selfishness. We're all confronted with, with envy. And we start questioning God about our looks and how he made us, how he designed us. We start asking, how come they can eat that? And how come they still have a six pack? Anybody ever wondered that? It bothers me to this day, okay? We wonder how come they're like that or how come they're that height? Or we think, well, how come they got born in that family? How come mine didn't have those means? That's not fair. How come they were set up, but I wasn't set up, right? We not only start asking questions about how we look or how God designed us, but even the family and our education or even, well, how come I'm not that smart? But who's going to admit this stuff? Except me, right? Because I got to talk about something at the beginning. Who's going to admit this stuff to everybody? Who's going to admit they have envy problems? Who's going to admit they have little selfishness going in because that another emotion starts to creep in if we talk about that pride like we don't want anybody to know what we got going on in here but see these type of emotions that in kids that are in adults these things aren't from God you see these emotions this envy selfishness even pride they don't bring God glory they don't reflect his image being envious, being discontent, feeling ill will towards other people because they have things that we don't have, none of that is from God. All of these issues stem from a much larger issue. Something that if we can get, if we can grasp, can really change our lives. And I mean it, I don't claim that a lot, but I mean this is one of the biggest, most foundational issues about the Christian faith that can radically change your life. It all comes down to the issue of stewardship. Anybody heard of stewardship before? Yes, yeah, stewardship is understanding that we, you and me, are merely managers. 
God owns everything we have. God is the giver. God is the creator. We are his creatures. He gives us the time we have on earth. He gives us the talents we have. He gives us our abilities. He gives us our treasures. Everything that we can possibly have, do, say, all of it is from him. And you and I are simply managers. Which brings us to our key belief this morning. It's this. It's I believe everything I am means we are just managers of our flesh. Did you know that? Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. And if we grasp this, it will save you a ton of time. The younger you are, if you were to understand this and live by it, it will save you so many regrets. It will save you so much time. It will allow you to live such a freeing, more peaceful, closer relationships in your life. It will change everything about you. Understanding that everything you are and everything you own is really God. So let's go to Jesus and learn what he teaches us about this. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at a parable this morning. And a parable is a story told by Jesus. They make up about 35% of Jesus' teachings. He taught us through stories so we'd remember, so we would get the point. And a parable is where Jesus has an important principle or important point to make. And so he tells us the story and wraps the principle in there. What's important to understand about parables, this is very important, is Jesus made them up. Why is that important? Because they end how he wants them to end. They go exactly where he wants them to go. So where he takes it, how the conclusion goes, is intentionally designed by him. So it's really important to see what he's getting at. This parable we're going to look at is in the middle of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. The one parable before this, the story before this, talks about being ready for his, excuse me, talks about him returning. This one tells us how to live in light of the fact he's going to return. And then the one after this talks about the judgment, the final judgment. So this one that we're going to look at is, okay, we know Jesus is coming back. We believe he's coming back. So what do we do in the meantime? That's what this is dealing with. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to read it all in one sweeping story so we can get the whole thing and heard it and hear it just how they would have heard it. It says this again. This is about, you know, kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. Excuse me, five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For everyone who has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, Even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, we see that God is the master. I'm sure you picked up on that. And we are the servants. Although Jesus is literally talking about money, how to handle wealth, all scholars agree this is pointing at the larger issue with what we're talking about today. It's called stewardship. Stuart Weber says, All of us are to live up to our full potential by God's strength with his wisdom for his kingdom. Their stewardship is comprehensive. It includes time, talent, spiritual gifts, energies, personalities, experiences, attitudes, and material resources. And if we could grasp what Jesus teaches in this parable, it will stop you from being envious. It doesn't mean it's not going to creep up. It means it can stop you from really living into that envy. It will stop you into worrying about what other people have versus what you have. It will really set you free to live and be, well, content. First, let's look at this. We're going to go over a couple of principles. First, we see that God is the owner and the giver. God is the owner and giver of all things. Matthew 25, 14, it says, And it would be like a man going on a journey who called a servant and entrusted his wealth to them. His wealth. He has given you what you have, all that you are, for you to manage on his behalf. Psalms 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, this is the very basic building block for stewardship. It's the basic building block for the Christian faith. Because it says, in the beginning, God created. This is very important because throughout the Bible, God never relinquishes his right as an owner. He never relinquishes ownership and says, you know what? I'm just, you know, here, y'all just have it. I'm good. I'm not going to be involved. I'm not worried about it. He's always the owner and continues to own everything in this world, which means we are simply managers. We manage on his behalf. We use for his behalf. He gives for us to use how he has asked us to use it. If you've ever been a manager in a company, you understand this. You are not the owner. Someone else is. You are working for them. We get that? I didn't ask if you liked it. I said, do we get it? Yeah, we got to shake our heads. I'll keep repeating myself if we don't get it, right? God owns, we manage. So we see that. Okay, we got it. But then God gives according to our potential and abilities. This is when we scream, this isn't fair. You're right. Life isn't fair. 
God doesn't claim it is. Look at it, Matthew 25, 15. It says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. We're like, Brian, well, he gave some people more. Yeah, I know, you see that every day, don't you? That's just the reality of the world. God gives some people more than he gives others. Stuart Weber says this, I like it. He says, the Lord knows us. He knows the full potential of each person of the serving kingdom. He designed that potential into each of us when he created us. No one is entrusted with more than he can handle, but neither is he entrusted with less than he can handle, he or she. So God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has designed you, he has created you. And the idea here is that God gives according to what we can do with what he's given us. So some people have more, they can manage more. He uses it for what he's called them to do and so on. Kind of like this. You've probably heard of the spiritual gifts. You've heard of those before. Three of us, okay. Romans 12, 6 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This isn't an exhaustive list. What this is is Paul saying, listen, God has gifted each and every one of us, given us different abilities, different spiritual gifts to use for his glory. So the idea is don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Do what God has called you to do. So some of us are really good at serving. I've told you the illustration. My wife is great at hospitality. If she knows you're coming over, she's going to think about it. She's going to clean for it. She's going to buy drinks and sodas and food. I'm going to be like, we got water and a couch. Come on over. It's not that I don't like you. It's that I don't think that way. She does. I told you when we had small groups, she didn't worry about teaching the scriptures, though. Guess who did that? I did. So you had a nice cold beverage because of my wife, and then we had some Bible study. It worked out great. But what if I got on her, Jess, you're not teaching today. Well, how come you're not studying the Bible, Jess? How come you're not preparing that? She'd be like, because I'm cleaning and preparing this for people. I don't care if you come to my dirty house. I'm good with it. She does. And it just, you probably don't want to come to my dirty house. I understand that. So it just, it works. And that's what Paul's getting at. Listen, do what you can do. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about God has designed them and created them. Do what God has called you to do. God has given some people different, excuse me, God has given us all different gifts to use for his glory. So some are better than serving. Some are better at teaching. Some are better at giving. Some are better at mercy. Some are better at cooking. Some are better at grammar. Some are better at math. Some are better with hammers. Some are better with crafts. You get the point. The point is God has created you and gifted you what he wants you to do. Not what he wants someone else to do, what he wants you to do. One morning I walked into Panera Bread and I, and I saw a friend, he was an aeronautical engineer working on his PhD. He was literally a rocket science. I thought it was cool to actually know one, right? And so I walked in, I looked, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm working on math. And I was like, hey, buddy, that's not math. That has more letters than my sermon. That is not math. Like seriously, it was aeronautical. I was like, I don't understand, and that was okay. I'm not building rockets, and he's not preaching. Just said, you know what? You take care of that. I'll take care of this, and we're going to get along great. God has gifted you. God has gifted you for what he's called you to do. And God's not going to hold you accountable for what someone else is doing, and you're not 
God's going to hold you accountable for what he has called you to do. So being a good steward, we also learn, number three, being a good steward of the little things brings greater privilege and responsibility. See, the two servants that did well, look at this. And this is one of those, like, is it true? This is what Jesus taught. Pay attention. He says this. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a, does it say it? Few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Scholars estimate the few things Jesus is referring to is millions of dollars. How many of us think a couple million dollars is just a few things? Right, to Jesus, it is. He owns everything. It's nothing. Those of you, he said, yeah, you've been faithful with a couple million bucks. All right, I'm going to give you some more. You see, the things that we think are so valuable are nothing compared to God. Nothing compared to his wealth and what he has and what he gives. And this is what so many of us fail to struggle. We think that if we give back to God, that we're losing. What the scriptures teach us is that when we give back again, he can multiply it. That he'll do something with it. That we want to hold on to, just like my kids, they want to hold on to their stuff. It's like, no, if you give, something much better will come your way. I promise you, the environment, our house for one will be better. This is what we struggle with. See, God isn't expecting you to do things outside of your ability, but he is expecting you to do with what he's given you to do. Leon Moore says, anyone who has a talent, using the word in the modern sense, of any kind and fails to use it, by that is very fact forfeits it. By contrast, anyone who has a talent and uses it will find, excuse me, use it to the full, finds that the talent develops and grows. So it's not just this idea with wealth that if we give our wealth back, he's going to bless that, although I believe that, the Bible teaches that. It's also if we give back our time, our talents, our treasures. This idea of stewardship is that we give back, we put it to use for his glory, and he'll do other things with it. And I don't know what those blessings will look like. I'm not telling you you're going to be rich if you give back to him. I'd say Mother Teresa is the one that always comes to mind. Living in the middle of India seemed like she had the most fulfilled, purposeful life. It was in extreme poverty. I don't know what your story is going to be, but I know that when we give back to God, he'll bless that and use it for his glory, and you will find your true purpose and fulfillment. When we hold on to things and we don't let him go, it doesn't work. He doesn't bless that. He doesn't honor that. So God blesses us according to our ability. So when you're faithful with the few things, just like at work, remember, you got an employee who does a good job with a little bit, you're going to want to give him more, right? If you have an employee who can't even sweep the floors, are you going to let them take charge of the whole store? No, right? This is simple. We're faithful with a few things. Some of us, the reason why God's not involved, the reason why we're struggling is because we haven't involved him. We're leaving him out. We're not asking him to be a part of by doing what he's asked us to do. So be faithful with a few things, he says. Because God cares. This is the fourth principle. God cares what you do with what you've been given. If you didn't know this, I'm glad you're here this morning. God really does care because it's not yours. It's his. And just like anybody who asks somebody to manage something for them, they care about their stuff. Since it's his and we're managers, he then cares what we do with what he's given us. Matthew 25, 29, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from there. 
The bottom line is you and I will be held accountable for what we've been given. That's what the scriptures teach us. We're like, I don't like it. I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it's not true. We understand the difference, right? We, you and I, will be held accountable to what he has entrusted us with. How we use our money, how we use our time, all of it. We will be held accountable. So when it comes to, to money, for instance, remember we believe God has told us to tithe, which is giving back 10%. And then an offering is anything above and beyond. This is a principle found throughout the scriptures. We're like, here we go, preacher, talking about money. I know, but listen, this isn't, we already taken up the offering, haven't we? We talk about this because this is how God has asked you to use your money. And if we already understand it's his money, and he's asking you to return 10% back to him, we understand that then. It makes sense. It's not that... It's that everything says he's saying, return it back to me. And if you want to live a life full of generosity, a life of an abundance, a life of just hospitality to give back, it it's, comes from giving. Giving stops you from being greedy and selfish. You can usually tell, I mean, how about this? How many of us want to be known at the end of the life for being greedy? Like we want people to stand up at our funerals. We do a lot of those in here. Man, they were just the most selfish, greedy person I've ever met before in my life. Like, but Ron, they won't know if I give back to the Lord. You're right. But it's giving. This thing unlocks the other things. This unlocks everything else. This unlocks, this stops you from being greedy. This unlocks that idea of generosity where you just always look for and understand it's not yours. And so I give back. Which brings us to that, well, unfaithful servant. You remember him? It really throws us off guard. You have that one guy who hit it. He's like, Lord, I'm just afraid, so I'm just going to put it to you. Basically, he did nothing with it. So he just set it to the side. He gave a couple excuses. He said, well, you're a hard man. He said, you're, I was afraid of you. Today, our excuses go, well, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. I just want it. I don't make enough. God, if you would do this first, then I will. But remember, he teaches us, be faithful with the few things first. Be faithful with where you're at. What did Jesus call this servant? You remember? Wicked and lazy. You're like, yeah, but Jesus is love. I know, but he says things like this too. You got to read your Bible. He calls them wicked and lazy. He says, if you think I'm hard, then why didn't you at least do something, at least get some interest? The idea you want to get from this is Jesus isn't interested in your excuses on why you can't do what he's asked you to do. Just be faithful with what you've been given. You and I have to not only get our priorities right, we've got to teach our kids to get their priorities right. You know this, if you grew up and your parents taught you to give when you were younger, to be generous when you were younger, it was a whole lot easier when you got older, wasn't it? Those of us who weren't taught that, it's very hard to start giving away 10% of your money when you're in your 20s. Do you know that? You're like, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, that's kind of rough. I mean, come on. So we want to teach this thing. Because look at what Jesus says. He says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is up for debate. I'm just telling you, I don't think this is describing hell. I believe this is agony, disappointment, frustration, someone like grinding their teeth, aggravated. And, and what I'm hearing from this story, because he's considered worthless, unprofitable, 
Not all people, and this is very important, not all people are going to be in front of Jesus and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just teaching you. Not everyone's going to hear that because you will be held accountable for what he's given you. The way to hear the, well done, my good and faithful servant, is when you use the resources he has given you how he has asked you to do. Because God is the giver. He's given you and I what we need to accomplish our potential. Excuse me, he's given according to our potential and abilities. Practicing this idea of stewardship, of giving back, what leads to greater responsibility and greater privilege. God really does care what you do with what he's given you. He really does. That's your time, your talents, your abilities, your gifts, and your treasures. And there aren't going to be other excuses. So we said, well, Brian, hold on, what does that mean? Well, if we get this, we can stop comparing, we can stop worrying, we can stop looking at what everybody else has, what everybody else has done, where God has all of them. We don't have to worry about where they're at or if you had what they had or if you had their job title or their education or their ability with math. You can stop all of that and look at where you are and simply do this. Simply manage. Your duty is to manage what he has given you the way he has asked you. It doesn't have to be complicated. Your duty is to manage what he's given you the way he has asked you to do it because he teaches it's all his anyways. We are simply managers. I don't have to be envious because God has given me what he has given me. And I can be what he has created me to be with what he's given me. And you can be what God has created you to be with what he has given you. You don't need anything else to be everything he's created you to be. But it also stops me from being prideful. Meaning I don't have to be, think how awesome and amazing I am because I'm doing what he's asked me to do. Because at the end of the day, who's gifted me? We're going to start at the beginning. Who's gifted me? God. Right? So, I mean, think about pride, envy, all this stuff that's not from God. Understanding stewardship, understanding embracing stewardship will stop all of that because we can't impress them. You see, your duty, my duty is simply to manage what he has given us the way he has asked us to do it. Because at the end of the day, and I hope you know this, the blessings aren't the point. The point is Jesus. Instead of getting so caught up with what we don't have, if we realized how amazing it is that we get to have a relationship with the giver, that our generosity, our giving, what he's teaching up with, what he's teaching you and I with stewardship is to look past the blessing, to stop getting so caught up with things and start understanding the giver, to start understanding Jesus the greatest blessing you and I have is Jesus. Do we understand that? Sometimes the stuff gets in the way. He's the gift. He's the most important thing. And he gives us things to use for his benefit because we get him. And if you don't understand that, I understand that. I hope you got that. If you don't understand that, I understand that you don't understand it. But it's through stewardship. It's through giving. It's through practicing these things. He will take you to a place to realize he's the whole point. It's him. 
When was eternal life not enough? When was the cross and the death and the sacrifice, the forgiveness, not enough for us? I'm talking to me, maybe you. When did things become so important? We take our eyes off of him. You see, God is the one who gives. Practicing good stewardship leads to greater responsibility and privilege. 